0: Welcome to Life Church. We are an x 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. All right, um, we are in our series uh, on pictures of the kingdom where we're looking at the parables that Jesus told and uh, if you've not seen me before, as Nick said, I am the, the one of the youth team and so I apologize for some of the stories. I am who I am. And so uh, just be there, it is what it is. I was going to pray for forgiveness but I didn't mean it so, uh, so uh, couldn't do it. So we're here to tell a story that you all have known about, you'll have seen, but really the point of the story is to, that we're going to talk about ways that we can be lost. In this world, and we don't really think about being lost physically anymore because we have, you know, Google Maps, right? We have electronic devices which stop us getting lost, but they are not perfect, as we will uh, see. So we're going to talk about the parable, which you might think of as the parable of the prodigal son, but we're not calling it that because Jesus never calls it that. Um, sometimes the little headings in your Bible not necessarily uh, helpful. And so Jesus says there are two sons, and it's really important we're going to look at the different ways in this world that we can be lost, that we can know what it is to be away from God and be in a bad place, okay? And so there are a lot of things that will give us directions, a lot of things that will tell us this is the way to live, and Jesus speaks into different ways that we can be lost. And so just as a picture of our technology and how that may or may not help us, we have a small video to begin. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for six. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Do everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You lose everything and everything falls apart, and eventually you die and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwayne. Make. make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No, up there. it said right, it said take a right. No, 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 look, it, it means go up to the right, bear right over the bridge and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight, it said go to the right. It can't mean that, there's oh, a lake right, there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me! No, it's Stop up here. yelling! there's no room! Here! Remain calm, I have trained for this. Okay, exit the window! Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for Legion! Michael! Are you okay? Swim for it! I got you! I got you! Get up. Get up. Michael! Michael! We go. So that's just, uh, we never get lost anymore, clearly, because we have technology. Just last week, uh, me and the beautiful Mrs. Della, we had a slight disagreement in the car because Google Maps said one thing, Eddie Honda, our car, said another thing, uh, and the road sign said a third thing. And so, what are you going to do? I went with the road sign. Apparently, that was wrong. So, uh, who knew, eh? And so, there are loads of different ways that will point us to the way that we can live. And we're going to read a passage in the Bible that is going to talk through those. And so, Before we read that main passage, we need uh, a bit of context. And so, in Luke 15, which is where we're going to be today, Jesus tells a whole bunch of stories about things that are getting lost. He tells the story uh, of a lost sheep and a lost coin, which we're not going to look at, and then of two lost sons. But before he tells these stories, it says uh, that the tax collectors and sinners were now all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that is important context because we need to think about who is Jesus speaking to and what's he saying? Well, you've got two groups of people in this crowd. You've got the people who everybody regarded as not good enough, the tax collectors and the sinners, the people who knew their lives were a bit of a mess and they did not deserve to be in the presence of holy people. And then you've got the religious people who are dead good at life. They're dead good at keeping the rules. And they are there and they are angry with Jesus and that is the context in which he speaks our story and I could tell you the story I could read the story it's a story we all know uh, very well, but there's a better way than just to read the story and that's to have some actors, isn't it James's So can I have my James actors up please? They uh, are in no way resentful of having to do this. This is the thing about being the youth pastor is you can just bully young people into doing things for you right And so um, right, we're going to read the story. And these wonderful actors are going to act out the varying parts. One will be the, uh, the loose cannon younger brother. One will be the very well-behaved older brother. You're going to work out which one's who. You might think you know who it is from the start, but we'll see. And then one is going to be the loving father. Again, you might think you know who it is. You're probably right on that one. Right, so I'm going to start by reading the story, and these will just miraculously act as we go. So Jesus continued. Uh, there was a man who had two sons, there we go. Good acting. Well done. There you are. Uh, so the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. There you go. There. Look at that. Beautiful. And so the father divided his property between them. And there you go. That is a gentleman's agreement right there. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and settled for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. Can you do some wild living for me, please, Liv? It looks, looks pretty wild, that's right, pretty wild. Uh, after Liv had spent everything, I, I mean, after he had spent everything, I don't know why I, I've put your name in it now, there was a severe famine in that whole country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen. Oh, look, there's a citizen of that foreign country right there on the front row. And so hired himself out to the citizen who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Be all hungry for me. Oh, yeah, look at that, look at that. (laughs) She's ravenous. Uh, But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said... Oh. I I There we go. So he's got a speech ready. He's going to go back to his father. So he gets up and went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, you're, you're close there, aren't you? That's it. He's backing away. Good well, good acting. Really rolling with the punches there, Liv. Uh, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Oh, That is, uh, that is really, he's gone for it, hasn't he? The father is really gone for it there. Uh, they'll be talking about that at home later. The son said to him, the son said to him, there's a line for the son. His son is in a lot of shock. <laughs> but the father said to his servants, Quick, bring a finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for finger and sandals for his feet. And kill that calf with his baton in. We must celebrate with a feast. But his son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but he is now found. So they began to celebrate. Some good celebration. That is what we like to see. <laughs> Liv looks very similar to she did when she was hungry. So very similar, uh, she's very consistent. She squanders her living. She's hungry. She's celebrating. It's all one. It comes naturally to her. It comes naturally. Meanwhile, the older son. Hi, Belle. We've not forgotten you. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, you can go, you can go up to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Is there anger in you? No. no. <laughs> Grr, look, at the, look at the rage. Look at the rage. We can see it. So his father went out and pleaded with him. That, but he answered his father. And here comes, your, here comes the line, older brother. <laughs> So, yeah, so the son, he's he's moaning, saying, like, you never gave me a party. You never even gave me a young goat. Parties were weird in those days. You know, like, what do you need for a party? Young goat, please, thank you. Number one, tick, no music, just a goat. And so, but but your brother, he squandered it with prostitutes. And the father said, "Look this. You've always saved me. Everything I have is yours. Had to celebrate this happy day. That he was dead. That is now come back to life. He was lost. But he's found." There we go. Thank you very much. Our our wonderful actors. Our wonderful, wonderful actors. Two of which may never speak to me ever again. But it's all right, we've got quite a big youth group, so you can let a couple of them go. You can just, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, take the rough with this move, and so that's fine. And so we're going to look at, and this, a lot of this is uh, a great book around this called The Prodigal God by a guy called Tim Keller, and it's quite an easy read. It's not a massively long book, and it's just so helpful that it describes the ways that we can be lost from God, and the ways that we can be apart from God, and how we can fixate on the first son in that story. And we are going to talk about that first son. And we can kind of think, wow, that's how I used to be. And that's how I came to God. And we just ignore the rest of it. But there's three characters in this story. And we're going to look at all three of these characters. And so if we think again about who's in the crowd, we know that there's sinners in the crowd that know that they don't deserve to come near to holy people. But we also know there's older brothers in that crowd. They're religious people who think they've got it all sorted. And they think, why can't everybody be like us? Uh, And then there's a father. And so we're going to see that Tim Keller mentions that the definition of prodigal is that somebody who seems that they're wastefully and recklessly extravagant and they're lavishly abundant. And he says that actually it's not the prodigal son. It's a prodigal God who is lavishly abundant, that gives us more than we deserve, that pays a huge cost, so that we can be reunited to him. And so he is the one that we are going to be looking at. And so the first way that we can be lost is that we live for ourselves. And that's the one we know about the younger brother. He blows it all. We know the story, right? He kind of takes the money. He goes off and he squanders everything. He lives for himself. And we know that if you live selfishly, that is an easy way that you can just lose sight of God. You can just think, I want to do whatever I want to do, I want to get what I want to get, and that's the way that life should work for me, and that is an easy way that we can miss God, you know, and uh, many of us have not squandered our family's wealth and gone into different places and really lost it all, but many of us do know what it is to live selfish lives and just be so lost, and just kind of think, man, I'm nowhere. And uh, uh, that is a very blurred picture, but it is what it is. And when I was at university, um, I wasn't trying to be the best at university. I wasn't trying to be the smartest. I wasn't uh, trying to be the best at football. But there was one talent that I thought I had, and that is that I could win a food challenge. It's a very niche talent. It's a very niche talent, but it's, uh, you've got to stick with what you can do. And so we would just think, right, we've got all this time in the world, we could go to lectures. But life could be more fun than that. And so we squandered our life in different ways. Uh, one of those was we used to go to McDonald's uh, and sit around, 10 of us, um, and we would all put 10 pounds in to um, the middle of the table. And we would play the game called the Save a Menu Challenge. And you would just put everyone's name in the middle in a little bowl. And you'd pull out a name. And let's say the name Dell came out. I would then take some of the money and I would buy everybody round the table one item from the saver menu, which used to be a pound. It's no longer a pound. And so you would take it in turns and everybody's so like, all right, 10 double cheeseburgers. Bam, everybody eats a double cheeseburger. Round two, somebody's name comes up. Right, we're going to order whatever, a McFlurry or whatever. And so on and so on. And it was last man standing. Was, and you can imagine, it's not, an unpleasant, it's not a pleasant thing. Uh, no one's coming. I mean, uh, the person who, you know... Basically, you could eat the most was a winner, but there was no real winners in this place, as you can imagine. We were in McDonald's for three and a half hours. Uh, So It's too long, isn't it? It's too long in McDonald's. You know, that is not acceptable. They limit your car parking to two hours now, uh, possibly because of people like us. And so I was in this, and I was at round 14 against somebody. The loads of people had dropped out. And me and Ross Driver were in there. Thank goodness this isn't that preach about gluttony, isn't it? And so, um, so we were there. And I, it was me versus him. And we were kind of head to head. And it had been we were at the real final stage. And I was thinking i will be clever. And I was like, large Coke. And he looked at me like I was a monster. He was like, we've had 12 sets of food. Now you want a large Coke? I said, yeah. We had a large Coke. And he looked like he was in a bad way. Then my name came up again. I went, Ross large coke. And he was <laughs> a terrible human being. So uh, I took the large coke, he drank it, and he said, "Dell, I think I'm out. If you can eat one more item, you win. And I was like, right, what's the easiest item to win when you feel like that? It's got to be ice cream, right? It's got to be ice cream. There's always room for dessert. There's always room for dessert. And so I ate my ice cream, felt like a champion. Until the drive home, Uh, we had designated drivers because we knew it wouldn't be safe for those of us who'd eaten 14 rounds of McDonald's. So the poor designated driver who was like, can we go home now? It's been three and a half hours of watching you eat. And so so I got there and I said, Katie, you need to stop the car. You need to stop the car now. Okay, you need to stop the car now. And literally, as she pulled over just in the middle of the street, I started being sick all down my body, down my leg, and then eventually just hoofed the most vomit you've ever seen on a wall of a pub, really high, like impressively high. And then it just dropped down. I was like, and I was just literally on my knees in the street, covered in sick, going... I've uh, not won, have I? And Ross, who's in the car, goes, remember, Dell, if you're sick, you lose. And so uh, <laughs> that's right, Ross. That is right. That is right. So uh, I was out, disappointingly. And so not every time we live for ourselves does it end that way. You know, Jesus is telling this story as an extreme. You know, he's not saying that everybody who lives for himself ends up in the street penniless and in the gutter. But he is telling us that when we live for ourselves, we find out that there's nothing there. There's a guy in the Bible called King Solomon that our life group is going to be looking at on uh, Tuesday. And King Solomon uh, is obviously a king and he's wealthy. uh, And he writes this book called Ecclesiastes. And he says, I set out to test myself with pleasure. I denied myself no pleasure. I threw great parties. I had great wealth. I did great building projects. And he says, I denied myself no pleasure, and he had 700 wives. I will let you draw the lines there. I'm just saying, he was, whatever you think you live like, he lived it bigger. And he said, and what I found was it was meaningless. he just found it was meaningless. There was just not the way to be. And we know that story where we can kind of think, right, I'm living for myself, and it's all okay. But there's something missing, right? There's something not there. This is... My university house, uh, it doesn't look any different now from when we were there. I'm taking one of our students who's going to university next September, a year in September. They're doing open days, so we get to take some of them to their open days when their parents can't. So we're taking her to Nottingham uh, on Sunday, where, where, Saturday next week, where I went to university. And that is 27 Kimbolton Avenue, which is a terrible house. It's where I lived for a year. Uh, five accounting men, so you can imagine A- Uh, the parties that we didn't go to, and B, how clean that house was not. At one point, my housemate refused to wash up any glasses so he made himself a pan of water for a drink and he sat in the lounge just drinking and said it's not my turn to wash up that's the kind of people that we were terrible so our uni routine in the final year of uni is I'd wake up at about midday we'd go to Mr Biggs for chips we'd have fish and chips for lunch uh, then we'd come back and we'd watch neighbors because in the day that was what we used to do then we'd play on the playstation and then we'd watch the Crystal Maze, then we'd play on the PlayStation, and then we'd have some food, and then we'd play on the PlayStation, and then we'd meet our friends in a pub. Then we'd stay up, and then we'd repeat again. It was incredible. It was just the best year in many ways. Like, imagine having no responsibilities and then panicking and realising that you should be graduating with some kind of degree. And so uh, so there was a lot of last-minute study in Red Bull involving a hospital trip, but that is a different story. And so... The the thing is, we live this life and no great drama happened. And when you live for yourself, no great disaster is necessarily around the corner. It's not a case of, oh, if you live without God, terrible things. We're not here to do this weird theory thing of, if you live without God, oh, bad things, just terrible things, your life will fall apart. You'll just be lost. And in that year, nothing crazily bad happened. But towards the end of that year, I was still going to a church on a Sunday, and I realized all I had was just just attending a church, but living for myself outside of that. And I just felt this emptiness in me. It felt good for a while, but there was just nothing into it. There was just nothing there by the end. And, And what I kind of discovered is that after I'd kind of done this for a while, I went away and I was just like, man... I don't know what's missing in my life. Well, I do know what was missing in my life. I was just so far from God. I'd lived just the easiest possible life, and nothing bad had happened. There was no great disaster. I hadn't gone into any financial trouble. I was just, what I realized, I was so much more insecure than I'd ever been. I was like, uh, I just remember ringing a friend of mine just before going to a um, Christian event, and I just rang her on the phone, and I said, Rach, I'm just, I don't know what's happened to me, but I'm just so worried about what my friends think about me that I never used to be worried about. So worried about what my parents think about me. I'm so worried about what I'm going to do next year. I'm so worried about my studies, but probably not worried enough about my studies. I'm so worried that when I get in a church, everyone's judging me and I don't know if I can even raise my hands because I'm not good enough. And I just ranted on the phone to her and I just like, I'm just a mess. And I went to this Christian meeting and um, they said, right, if anyone's got exams, we'll pray for your exams. And I thought, well, (laughs) I mean, study is better than prayer, you know, but I ain't done much of the study, so let's give prayer a go as well, you know. And so I went up and this guy just said, right, pray for Dell that he gets the exam results that he deserves. I was like, I don't really like that prayer. I want want exam results better than I deserve, son, so can we tweak that a little? And so he just did a normal prayer and that was it. And I kind of went, yeah, cool, that'll do. And as I went to leave, he just said, can I pray again? I was all right. Just a complete stranger, don't know his name. He didn't know my name. We hadn't said anything to each other. And he just put his hand on me and he said, yeah, Lord, I just, I just feel this guy's fed up. He's just fed up of worrying about what his mates think. He's fed up of worrying about what his parents think, about what his church thinks of him. that even just in church, he doesn't even can put his hands up because he doesn't feel good enough. And then at the end of his prayer, he just looked at me with the widest eyes you've ever seen. He was like, Did any of that make any sense? And I couldn't even speak. And so I was like Adam James with that kid. I just jumped on the stranger. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I walked around for two hours going, flip. I just couldn't speak to anybody. And it was just like, man, I feel I've wandered off. And all I got was this sense of God sees me and he knows me. So I didn't have this great, dramatic life was falling apart. But I was like, man, I'm in a bad way. And as I was wandering off, what happened? There was a God who said, hey, I know you, and I see you, and I love you. And let me tell you, that just changed my life. Yeah. It just changed everything. Because I'd grown up in church knowing, knowing that there was a God and that, you know, I should behave and I should do this. But I just didn't get this sense that he actually cared about what was going on in me. And, uh, and if you're miles away, if you're somewhere that you think, man, I just feel that everybody in church is a little better than me. You know, let me tell you, that is... Just not true. There'll be people in here that are better than you at stuff. You know, like, of course there are, but that does not mean that they are loved anymore. That's the story that Jesus is telling. The older brother is fuming that he's like, I have earned your love more. And the, the father's say, no, I love my sons. I love both sons. Not because one's done better than the other. I love both. And we were doing some stuff with the youth on Friday. We talked about sometimes when we see our siblings and what we can sometimes see of our man, do you ever think your parents prefer your siblings? And we had a real honest kind of discussion about, actually, I think they probably think my sister's better because she does this, because she's like this. And we all feel that, right? We've all been in that. Some of them, some of them were very secure. I'm like, nope. And I was like, ah, oh, that's because you, you are the favorite child. <laughs> but I know what it is to grow up just assuming that everybody prefers my sister or everybody prefers the other people in the youth group because they're better behaved, they're smarter, they're holier, and therefore I am not worth it, and I can't come near. You know, and we might be reasonably old as youth workers now, but our story is that we are going to tell these kids that even if they don't behave very well, that they still matter very much to God, that they still are important. And if we have to hammer that message to them again and again, if we have to drive to Sterling and make it really awkward with Caitlin to tell her how important she is to us, well, we'll just keep doing that. And she'll be like, Del, can you just leave me alone? I'm like, the answer is no, Caitlin. The answer is no. But there's another... um, There's another kind of bit to to this story, as we'll see. And so um, we know that this younger brother, he feels lost, uh, and he has this kind of uh, speech ready, and he says, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to say to my father, I've sinned against you. You know, make me a servant. And we we kind of think, right, okay, I've made a mistake. How can I make it up to God? How can I repay it? Well, the fact is, we just can't. You know, we just can never repay that. And he's got this plan. He's got a payment plan set out, uh, but actually... What we see is the father, it says on the other verse, that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. We cannot repay the mess that we make. And we are not asked to repay the mess that we make. We are just asked to turn around and say, hey, I want to come back to you, God. And the second way we can be lost is by being good. And that sounds weird. You can't be lost by being good. That's not right, is it? Like being good's the point, isn't it? Let me tell you a little story. If I was planning a perfect date for the beautiful Lindsay Della, it might involve street tacos. Uh, She's from America. She's not a fan of English food. Apologies. Uh, And so uh, she's particularly not a fan of the restaurants in Warrington. I think she's uh, like, she's—you've she's, really got a head in her hands now, moving on quickly, in case you all think she's a snob. She's not. She's just from a place of better food. America have a lot of food. You've seen the people. They're massive. And so... Um, uh, I thought that was going to get me out of trouble. I don't know if it did. Uh, <laughs> Don't know if it did the effect there. Uh, so I could get, take her for some street tacos. I could buy her her favorite flowers, which are daisies. And then I could say, we're going to watch that thing you do. And she'd be like, wow, that's a good date, Dale. That is a good day. You know me well. And that sounds good, doesn't it? And, and let's say I said, right, Lindsay, I'm going to take you out for a date next week. And she said, oh, great. What are we going to do? And we get there and I said, right, I'm taking you to some street tacos. She might think, all right, good. I like tacos. Had them last week, but that's fine. I've got you some flowers, some daisies, and then we're going to go home. And we're going to watch that thing you do, which a bit weird, uh, but fire enough. And then I said, right, next week, I've got a date for you, Lindsay. I'm going to take you for some street tacos. Eventually, she would be like, right, you're a weirdo. Like, what is this? Because what I don't really do is I don't want to spend time with her and have a relationship with her. I've almost got a formula that I think works. I've got a date that works. That is locked in. I'll do that. And I'll do that again and again and again. And that is what the Pharisees were like. They were right, well, I can work this out. I know I have to be good, right? And if I can be good, that's the deal. I've got this rhythm, I know how to behave, tick. I actually don't need a relationship with God, I've got it locked. I've got a perfect date, and so that's what I locked. So I can't do that every week, I need better date advice. So who do you turn to? You turn to Ian Jones, right? You turn to Ian Jones if you need date advice. That's what I did, and so uh, yeah, I said, Ian Jones, Lindsay, she might look beautiful and cool, but she's a nerd. And what she likes is planes. Is there a good place that we can go see planes? Oh, Ian Jones comes through for you, doesn't he? This is what we like. You, you've never seen Lindsay Della Rappia. And so this is our date. This is just a plane. Not a lot else is going to happen, by the way. Just a spoiler alert. It's going to land. And so um, there it is. That's how close we were. So um, there we go. I so, as a date, what do I do? I took her to a pub where she could watch Plainlands. Happy as she's ever been. Uh, happy as she's ever been. Because we need her to know her relationship and be close. And God's so much more interested in us being close to him than going through a rhythm and a routine and just getting lost. And if we read the passage about the older son, the, the second lost son, it says, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. "'Called one of the servants, asked him what was going on. "'Your brother has come,' he replied. "'Your father has killed the calf "'because he has him back safe and sound.' "'The older brother became angry and refused to go in. "'So the father went out and pleaded with him. "'But he answered his father, "'Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. "'I've never disobeyed your orders "'and you never gave me a goat uh, "'so I could celebrate with my friends. "'But with son of yours who squandered your property "'with prostitutes come home, "'you kill the fattened calf for him. "'My son,' the father said, "'you are always with me.' and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. And, and as Tim Keller points out in his book, at the end of the story, it's the older brother who's outside the party. You know, like the younger brother knows he's made a mistake, and he comes in, and he throws himself at the father, and he's so grateful. But the older brother thinks he's got it locked. He thinks he knows what he's doing but actually he's the one who ends up outside because what he's got is he's got all his goodness, all his routine, all his rhythms, but he has no love for the father. He's just doing it because he thinks this is where I can get what I earn. The, yo- the younger brother wants the money now. He wants to live for himself now, but the older brother wants to earn it. He wants to say, right, I'm, I am due some money, but I don't want to be in your debt. I'm going to earn my way. Let me tell you, as I've got older, as I've moved away from maybe feeling that I was this younger brother and always a mess and not good enough for God, it's very easy to get into this older brother mentality where you somehow think, Man, I'm good enough for God, right? I am good enough. I think I volunteer, I do this and I do that, and all of a sudden we reckon we can start racking up the scorecard and say, Hey God, I came up early I came early and put some chairs up today. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm in your debt a little bit now. I'm just gonna rack up the points and I'm gonna do well and, the Pharisees were like that. They were kind of thinking they've got credit in the bank. They're working really hard. You know, the sinners, they are like a small boy uh, who's been set out in a nice outfit as if he's been dedicated or whatever. And you think, right, put a white shirt on don't get messy. And you know, within three seconds, you turn your back, you leave that boy in an empty room and he looks like this, you know, somehow nothing's happened. And that is like the rest of us would have been like trying to follow the law. Like I'm going to be good today. I'm going to be good today. I've made a mess of everything. But the Pharisees, they were good. They kind of just said, no, I'm going to show you. I'm going to walk around in my clean white robes. I'm going to show you how clean I can be. And they were so lost and had so missed the point, And it can be so easy for us to point fingers at them and go, man, isn't it good to not be like that? But I tell you, like um, I find it just more and more that I've become a little bit like an older brother. And the problem with that is that when bad things happen, that we sometimes kind of think, well, I don't deserve that now, God. And maybe I deserved it when I was a mess, but I'm good now. I've been behaving myself so I expect you to do good things for me. It's like a, just like a vending machine. I've been putting money into the slot. I've been working hard. I expect something good out. And if not, why is that? And so, um, yeah, bad things do happen. Just as a quick side note, poor old Sophie James is getting a, a story here. So um, when we went on holiday with Sophie James, the Jameses and the McDavid's recently for a couple of days, And uh, Sophie James, there's signs everywhere saying, stop attacks, never feed the seagulls. Now, Sophie James wasn't trying to feed a seagull. For some reason, she was holding a sausage up to show her dad that she had a sausage. This is on her. A seagull swooped down like an absolute beast, took the sausage, went off. And she was very shocked and very upset. And I thought, that's great. I'm using that in a preach because I'm a terrible person. (laughs) I genuinely thought I had a picture of her crying, and I looked through my phone for it, and I said, Lindsay, did you take a picture of Sophie crying? And she didn't. We are failing ourselves as as youth pastors. But, you know, sometimes life comes at us, and it's not our fault. Bad things happen. You know, and the danger is if we think that actually because we've been good, these bad things mean God loves us less, and our theology is skewed. Because ultimately, when things fall apart, when bad things happen, actually when my life has been at the worst of times that's when I've realized how good God is. That's when I've kind of noticed, man, I've got not a lot else, but I've got God. And actually, what else do I need? It's a healthier place than when I'm earning it and thinking I'm doing well. I realized that actually, when things are falling apart, that I need him and I can't earn my way to him. Poor Sophie James. And so, uh, so anyway, um, so yeah, so you've got this uh, older brother and there's some signs that Tim Keller uh, says about that you've become an older brother and let me tell you, as I read this list out, like too many of this list can, be, can relate to me and the way I live my life sometimes. Uh, and these are signs that maybe we can be a little bit lost and we work hard for God, but we're not with him. We're just working for him. He's like he's a boss, like the older son said, I've been slaving away for you, yeah. but he's just not with him. He doesn't love him. So signs that maybe we're a little bit more of an older brother than we, than we want to be. We get angry when things don't go as they, we feel they should. We get frustrated when our good works don't get rewarded. We get angry at ourselves when we fail to live up to our own high standards. We feel that maybe we're just doing a little bit better than those around us. Uh, We get upset if others thrive when we don't and we're trying hard. Maybe we feel that other Christians aren't doing it properly. Maybe we get devastated by criticism and maybe we feel we're not getting the respect that we deserve from others. You know, it's so easy to be in that place. None of us want to be there. None of us set out to be there. But over time, we just kind of think, man, where have I lost that love? And where have I feel that I deserve something more? And being the youth pastor, it's so easy to sometimes kind of think, well, I'm doing my best. I'm working hard. I have a job. And people kind of go, well, what about this? Have you done this? And I can go, I haven't got time for that. Who's got this idea? And that Limitless, we're going up to, and we're taking 70 young people. It's going to be incredible. we tell telling you that week before Limitless, most parents in the church, I would happily hoof into the sea. I'm just telling you, most parents are difficult. I'll take 70 young people in a camp and I'll have a lovely time. That will not be the difficult bit. Organizing everyone's precious little children into a tent that they want to be in, that is tricky. And I kind of go, man, I get so frustrated. Is it worth it? Is it? Because what I'm doing is I'm not with God. I'm just thinking, I'm working hard for you, God. And what you've sent me is parents. Oh, you sent me. Uh, he's, he's, and we get there and we realize why it's all worth it. We realize it's not about organizing. We see these young kids connecting with God, and we go, that is what it's all about. But you know what? It's not just about the young kids connecting with God. What I need is to be reminded that God is good. He's more than my graft. He's more than the hard work that it is. Actually, he's a good God. And actually, being in those places, normally it's after a week of me thinking, oh, look at us. We've worked really hard to put it on. And I go in and go, man, God, I'm so sorry. You're so much better than me just working for you. What have I done? I've turned it into what we can do for ourselves. And so if you are feeling that way, I just want you to uh, not despair and not feel like, oh, man, I am a bit of an older brother. Uh, In this story, Jesus doesn't go for the younger brother. He lets him wander, and he waits for him to come back. The father waits, and as soon as the brother comes back, he runs at him the father goes to the older brother. The older brother's lost and the father goes out to him. You know, and if we feel like, man, I'm in a bad place, the heart of God is to go to you and say, hey, this doesn't have to be our story. We can remember what it is to serve him and love him. We can remember what it is to not just work, but to be reminded of of who the father is. You see, there are two ways uh, that we can kind of live. And we look at the story and we'll land it uh, here. Don't worry, I'm aware of time. And we can look at the two, the two brothers and think, man, maybe I'm the younger brother. Maybe I'm the older brother. And we can read the Bible looking for ourselves in that story. We can look at Old Testament stories like David and Goliath and think, man, I want to be like him. And, I want to, and we miss the point. The point isn't that we are the older brothers and younger brothers and which one am I? That might be true. But Jesus is saying, hey, look, this is what the kingdom of heaven's like. And what he's telling us he's telling us about the heart of the Father. He's telling us that the point is a God who loves us, that we can't repay, that we can't earn it to, and he's not asking us to. And he's saying there's a God that we can come back to, and that is the best thing about the kingdom. And that is what we wanted to point you to. And uh, ultimately, the son being forgiven, the son who messed it all up, came at a cost. You know, like the guy, had to break up his estate, probably sell loads of land, he had a smaller estate, And forgiveness costs something. If you ask for an apology, it's not really forgiveness. You know, it's not costing you something. But if you say, you have wronged me and I don't want to be repaid, well, that is costly. You know, and um, my relationship with my parents very much kind of echoed my relationship with God in many ways. That I went from feeling that I wasn't good enough compared to people at church, I wasn't good enough compared to my sister, and then it went from, man, let me show you how good I can be now. So I flitted from one being, right, you love my sister better than me, she's smarter than me, to right, I've got a good job, I can show you how good I can be. And it very much echoes the ways that I had really flawed connected to God. And when I was 23, I had a job as an accountant, it was a tough job, uh, and I was telling him I'd done really well, I was passing my accountancy exams, and that was true But what I didn't tell him is that I had spent so much money. I was lobbing things on credit cards. I'd never had any money. My parents never had any money. So I was living like the big man, like, look at me. I've made it as an account, and I'm impressive. I can do this. I'll buy you dinner, mum and Dad. I'll do this. I'll do this. And before I knew, I maxed out three credit cards. I maxed out an overdraft. And I remember being stood at a cash point um, in a supermarket with my mum on payday and realizing on payday I didn't have enough money to pay my rent. That it was just, I was just out. And I stood there and tears were in my eyes, and I was like, oh man, I have to tell my mom that I've just messed up everything. Finally, that I came good. I was a mess of a teenager, but now I was good. And I have to tell her I've messed everything up. And they're poor. They can't afford to bail me out. They don't have anything. My dad was a failed actor. That doesn't bring in a lot of money. He ended up as working in a factory. My mum works in primary schools as a children's evangelist. You can imagine how much money that gets paid. Not a lot. And I was like, they don't deserve to have to do this. And I told my mum what I'd done. And the next day, the two of them. They went to a bank and they took out just a small loan just so that I could pay my rent that month. That's all they were allowed to take. It's all the bank would lend them. And so they took my debt upon themselves just so that I could live. And she said, just get help. So I had to sit with Lucas and I had to tell him that I was so embarrassed that this had happened. And you know what? They never asked for repayment. They were never disappointed. I'm sure they were very upset. But you know what? It was at that point there, I was like, I think my parents actually love me. I think they'd put up with me for the rest of my life. And at this point, I was like, I think they actually love me. And I was like... Oh, I think God might actually love me. He might not just put up with me. not be waiting for me to come good eventually. I think he actually kind of loves me. And I think my prayer is um, that this is my church back home. And today, one of my school friends uh, is going to church. One of his friends is getting baptized. And he's going to church for the first time that he's been to church in maybe 25 years. And uh, yes, my prayer for him is very much the same prayer for, for all of us is that whether he feels that he's been miles away from God and wandering, or whether we feel that we've come to God and we're not good enough, or whether we feel that actually we're a bit dry and a bit burnt out, My prayer is that we would know what it is to see the Father, that we would see the one who is better than we can imagine, the one who runs towards broken people when they return, the one who throws parties that we do not deserve, the one who welcomes outcasts, the one who restores the fallen, and the one that we would turn our eyes to. And so I'm just going to pray. And so, God, I pray for anybody who feels that they're just unworthy to be here. God, I just pray that they would know that you don't tolerate them, that you're not waiting to be repaid. You're not waiting for them to be good enough, but you love them. God, I pray that in these moments, they would know what it is to know your presence and feel your touch. I pray for anybody who feels just dry and burnt out, anybody who feels that they've been working so hard and they, get more, they don't get what they deserve. God, I pray that you would release them from the pressure of of trying to earn your love. Help us to, to know what it is to lay these things down and fix our eyes on you, the reason that we do it all and that we would see our Father and we would know that love as well. Help us with that, we ask, Lord. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.